So again, faithful people are sojourners. We don't believe this world is our home. And more specifically, what that means is, is it means our allegiance is not ultimately for this world. Our allegiance is for a world to come. And also related to allegiance is hope. Our hope is not ultimately in this world. Our hope is in a world to come. We, we believe that we have a better homeland that is coming. We desire something better. And all these six examples, they, they display that type of faithfulness. That they have a trust in God for the future. That they have a trust for God for all these things from the spiritual realm that they can't see. They trust Him for those things. And as they sojourn through this world, they try to make this world better. They try to live faithfully here. But ultimately, their hope, their desire is for a world that is to come. They're just sojourning in this world. They are longing for a heavenly home. Okay, let's look at our first of six examples of Abraham. 17 and 19 call us to, like Abraham, have faith when it's hard. Look at 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is a reference to a strange story in Genesis 22. And, and if you remember the story of Abraham, really the, maybe the pinnacle of the story of Abraham is this covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 12. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham land, seed, and blessing. That if he would trust the Lord, he would grant him land, and he would grant him seed, and he would grant him blessing. Now, the really difficult part of trusting God at that moment is Abraham was very old and had no children. And so when God blessed him with seed, with, with his son Isaac, this was this miraculous moment. And, and he no doubt loved his son greatly. And, and, I, and I would assume that we could go so far to assume that he probably idolized his son in some way. It, it, was, it would have been very easy for him to make his son, th this promised son, this, this inheritance that was going to come to him. It would have been very easy for him to make him an idol, meaning loving him more than he loved God. And I think that that's the the reason why God calls him and tests him in this way. And, and later on in Genesis 22, he calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac, to take him up on this mountain and, and to sacrifice his son. Now, uh, Abraham loved Isaac. He placed all his hope in Isaac. There was no doubt there was this temptation to not trust the Lord in this. This was a, a great test, okay? And listen, on a major side note, if God calls you to do the same thing, call me first, okay? Like if he, if you get in a dream or some sort of cloud formation, God told me to go kill my kid and, you know, he'll, he'll raise him from the dead. Just call me first, okay? Let's, let's talk through that one, okay? But what he does here is an amazing thing is he trusts the Lord through it. Now, I want to read Genesis 22, verse 5, because this highlights how Abraham passes this test with flying colors. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come again to you. And what I think he's saying there, connected with what is being said about him in Hebrews 11, what I think Abraham believes is they're going up that mountain, he's going to kill his son, but then God's going to raise him from the dead, and they're coming back down together. That's big league faith, right? That's other level faith. That's the type of faith that he has. 
This account reminds us that God will call us to trust him with, to trust him with hard things in our lives. And again, I don't, I don't think the details of this story are going to be the details of your story. I hope not, okay? But he is going to call you to hard things. He's going to call you to trust him with hard things. He, he's going to stretch you in different ways. It's not easy to trust him with your money or with your time when you have a busy career or a busy young family. It's not easy to forgive certain people, right? It's not easy to love those who are hard to love. But like Abraham, have faith when it's hard. Can you trust God with hard things? Let's look at the second and third example in verse 20 and 21. Like Isaac and Jacob, we're to have faith for the next generation. Verse 20 says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, the inclusion of Isaac and Jacob in this list, it reminds us that God, uh, that uh, it reminds us how God remains faithful to his promise to the generations. There's, there's this generational look to what God is doing, and, and it's this call to trust God for the next generation. Your faithfulness is connected to how you hand off the faith to the next generation. All of us are called to hand it off, to pass it down. We're to leave this legacy of faith from those coming up behind us. We're to bless our children with the gospel. I had a good friend one time, and when her father died, he left the family a lot of money. But he'd been an awful father. I mean, an awful father. And it was interesting processing all of that with her and that grief. And by God's grace, and to her credit, she, she was really gracious towards her father at the end, and she had really come to a, a peace about who he was and all the awful things that he had done. But again, he was an awful father, but, but he was a very rich man, and, and he left her family a lot of money, like, you know, really, you know, life-changing type of money to this family. But what was interesting is as she was processing that, she said, you know, I, I would trade all this money for a faithful, good father. I would have rather had a father who loved me well, who walked with the Lord and passed down the faith to me. I would rather have that than, than all of this money. And, and I've known other people who are kind of on the flip. They've maybe had a, a faithful father, and maybe, you know, he had, you know, nothing to pass down to him. But yet they sang his praises at the end. That, that's a great example of, of what type of faithfulness we're supposed to have. We're, we're to pass down the faith to the next generation, like Isaac and Jacob have faith for the next generation, teach it, model it, pass it off, hand it down, and bless them with the knowledge of the promises of God. Okay, the fourth example, like Joseph were to have faith for something better. Look, look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And we can say a lot about the faithfulness of Joseph, right? Like, one of the great things about the Bible is you see people kind of in their, you know, in, in a very raw and authentic way, right? Like, we see the highs of Peter, and we see the lows of Peter, right? They're real people. And, and Joseph is just kind of this interesting example in the Old Testament where really the vast majority of his life is marked by great faithfulness. Like, there can be great things about Joseph's life to, in, a, in a passage like Hebrews 11, I mean, we could talk about how, you know, he, uh, he, he chose to be faithful to the Lord instead of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. 
We could talk about how he was faithful in a, in a jail cell. We could talk about that when he rose to the highest of highs in Egypt, that he was faithful uh, to serve all of the people in that land and even became a, a hero uh, to the people in, in Egypt. But what he chooses to talk about here is this faithful desire to have his bones buried in the promised land. I, I find that fascinating and kind of strange. He doesn't mention all those other things. He talks about this. You see, what he's trying to highlight is, is that Joseph had faith for something better. Now, again, remember, he went to the highest of highs. Like, like he had everything uh, that he could ever want. He, he was, you know, the highest position that he could be at in the, in the richest nation that there was. He had all the power and the prestige that he could want. He was a hero to everybody around him for how he helped them navigate a famine. But at the end of it all, he desired something better. That was the root of his faithfulness. His faith was in something better than what this world could offer. His faith was in God's promise for the future. Faithful people are like Joseph. They're like Joseph in that their faithfulness, it extends to everybody that they come in contact. The people above them, beside them, and below them. Their faithfulness touches all of that. They're able to bless everybody around them. Like thinking of Joseph and how he blessed people Faithful people, they have these true relationships with people around them. They make their, their, their lives better, especially with those who are difficult to love. Like faithful people, they turn a profit for their company. They sacrifice for their nation. They sacrifice for their family. They, they give of themselves, but they have a deep hope in the world that is to come. Faithful people understand that this world is not our home. And in because of that, it enables us then to sacrificially love people here. If we cling tightly to this world, if we think this world is all that there is, we're not able to effectively uh, love people in the way that we should. But our hope is in something better. Joseph uh, had, had faith in something better. Okay, let's look at the next, exa- next example, verse 23. Like Moses' parents have faith over earthly powers. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I think verse 23 is really not focused on Moses, but really on his parents. They displayed great faithfulness in this moment, right? Remember the story? All of the, uh, the children were to be killed and they hid their child away and they had this scheme where they were going to kind of put the baby in a basket and float it down the river and get it to Pharaoh's daughter. Maybe Pharaoh's daughter would adopt him. And it it all kind of worked out. But all those little steps, all those little things that they did, they were very faithful. It was very daring. It was very brave. But they demonstrated great faith, but not ultimately in the earthly powers. Like they feared someone more than the Egyptian Pharaoh. They, They feared the God that was above them. Like they had more faith in that God and they had faith in God more than Pharaoh and that enabled them to live in this daring, faithful way. They, they were able to live differently than the world. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world, yet Moses' parents had faith over earthly powers. They had conviction about powers that they couldn't see. Okay, here's the last one and the main one in this section is Moses. And like Moses, we're to have faith with God's people. Look with me at verses 24 to 28. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, there's a lot here in these verses. But even though Moses' parents displayed this great faith of, of giving him off to, uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, he recognized that faithfulness meant that he was to be with God's people. He was to be with God's people was the great mark of his faithfulness. Now, faith with God's people was a challenge for Moses, right? Like, can, like, can you picture his life a little bit? Not like, because if he was with Pharaoh's people, he could experience all the fleeting pleasures of sin, right? He could have all that the world had to offer if he stayed with Pharaoh's people. But if he went with God's people, he was going to experience just levels of mistreatment. If Moses would have just faithfully submitted to Pharaoh, he would have been able to enjoy all the pleasures of wealth and power. He he would never go hungry again. He would have all the fun at all the parties. He would get what he wanted when he wanted. By most people's assessment, Moses' life there uh, was the good life. He had everything at his fingertips. He had all that he would ever wanted. However, being with God's people, it meant physical hardships for the rest of his life. Now, as the story goes in Moses with Exodus 2, somewhere along the way, Moses learns that he's not uh, Egyptian, but he's Jewish. And he sees one of the guards uh, beating one of the Jewish slaves, and he goes to defend them and ends up killing uh, the Egyptian. And he runs away in fear. However, fear ultimately doesn't mark his life. Faithfulness does. And I just want to chase something because I think it's very insightful and powerful. Look again at verse 27. There's this little nugget in there of how Moses overcomes fear and ultimately lives a faithful life. It says that, that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, there's some levels of paradox there, isn't it? He endures. He endures that, that hardship, that physical world by seeing what can't be seen. That's faithfulness, right? He, he sees all these things that he can't see with his physical eyes. Moses faithfully endured despite the hardships, despite the fear by seeing with physical eyes. He saw the unseen. His faithfulness was about seeing the spiritual realm when all the others could see only the physical realm. Moses saw God and saw uh, what God was doing. He didn't just see Pharaoh. He didn't just see the hardships. He didn't just see uh, the, the physical pleasures of sin. He saw God. He saw what God was doing. He saw what God could do and what God would do. Again, Moses didn't just see his hardships, but he saw with spiritual eyes. And as a result, the hardships of his life did not crush him. His life wasn't marked by fearfulness. It was marked by faith. It's by seeing with physical eyes. There's this great example then in verse 28, this final point. He then turns to the Passover, that first Passover. Do you you remember the story from Exodus 12? There's all these plagues that are promised, right? And then you get to that last plague, that 10th plague. And what was it? That all the firstborn would be killed, except if they participated in the Passover. If they would slaughter an unblemished lamb or, or a sheep and then spread the blood on their doorpost, then the destroyer would pass over their house and, and, they, and the destroyer would not kill the firstborn. Moses had faith in God and he joined God's people in that first Passover. That's what we're supposed to see, is that Moses was with Pharaoh's people, but in faith he chose to be with God's people. He experienced all the hardships, 
But in the end, he experienced that salvation of the Passover. Moses had faith in God over the temptations of sin. Moses had faith in God over fears of hardships in this world. Moses saw God when others only saw pleasures and only saw hardships. Moses had faith in God during the first Passover. And Moses had faith in God with God's people. There's a ton of relevance for us, right? I mean, do you see all these sorts of applications in this one little section looking at his life? Doesn't that hit all of us in different ways? Like, like Moses, we're constantly faced with trusting God or chasing temptations, right? But like Moses, we can experience fear due to hardships. Like Moses, our spirituality, it's not meant to be individualistic. It's meant to be with God's people. Like Moses, we can endure temptations, and we can do it by having faith in something better. But like Moses, we can endure hardships, but, but it's in knowing that God has his best for us. He, he has a good future for us. He's working good through the hardships. Like Moses, we can endure and have faith when, when uh, we live out our faith with God's people. This section of Hebrews 11, 24 to 28, it, it's a call to have the type of faith like Moses, the, the type of faith that he demonstrates. And the type that he demonstrates is a faith with God's people. This means that when we have spiritual eyes and, and, and experience temptations or hardships, we're to do that with God's people. Donald Guthrie says, faith and sinful pleasure do not belong together. I mean, it's right. That's a good reminder for us, right? Faith and sinful pleasure, they don't go together. And I would add to that that faith and brokenness over our hardships, those also don't go together. Like if the hardships of this world ultimately crush you and you're ultimately marked by fear, it's a sign that you're not trusting him with something, right? Those things don't go together. However, we need God's people to help us see that invisible spiritual realm. Friends, I am easily crushed by this world, and maybe you are too. And one of the graces of God for you in those moments is God's people. We're to be faithful, to be with God's people. That's how we navigate those things. And listen, on a, a side on that, he's calling us to this togetherness spirituality. It means we're to do this together. I need you and you need me. And listen, you're not going to have the type of relationships that you need when you're, when you're tempted or when you're going through hardships. Is it, If what you do with this church is you kind of maybe slip in late and don't talk to anybody and slip out early and don't talk to anybody. Or you just have real polite, how you doing? Great. Okay, moving on. Fine. And then that's it. If you don't really develop those relationships, they're not going to be there when you need them. And, and, and hear me, for some of you, that's easier to do than others. I, I'm, <laughs> it's harder for me. There's a little more work, a little more intentionality. And if you're there, just invest in that. Invest in God's people because they're going to be there when you need them. But if you don't invest uh, in God's people, they're not going to be there in those moments of temptation and trial. Students, let me <laughs> add this to this point. Church isn't cool, right? There's something cool about this, okay? If you're in Ireland, cool means brilliant or lovely or class. Church is not class, okay? Like, like this, isn't, this isn't cool here, okay? Listen, you might look around and think, you know, God might be calling you to this life with God's people, and you might think there's just a bunch of dorks here, okay? And listen, I'm probably on the top of your dork list, okay? But, but hear me, 
God's calling you still, even though that's there. He's calling you to be part of God's people, okay? Listen, Moses had a long list of reasons why he shouldn't be identified with God's people, okay? And, and I'll push it so far to say his list is probably better than yours, okay? Being in Pharaoh's house and then wandering in the desert with God's people, which one do you choose? He had a better list of objections than whatever objections you have. But listen, I'll tell you, it's better to be in that desert with God and his people than in Pharaoh's palace. Amen? God is with us in that desert. He is for us in that desert. He walks with us there. There's probably a long list that you also have. However, God has included Moses in this list to highlight that each and every one of us need the church. Do you need to repent of selfishness or apathy or fear or pride because it's maybe getting in the way of faithful obedience? As you go back through that list in your head, like Abraham, as God, through his word, is he calling you to something hard? Do, do, does your self-preservation or your self-satisfaction, does that get in the way of that faithful thing that he's calling you to? Does, like Isaac and Jacob, is God calling you to pass off the faith to the next generation? It's going to take time. It's going to take energy from you. But does your apathy over spiritual things or maybe a lack of love for people, does that get in the way? Like Joseph, is God calling you to find joy in a better country? Does your soul apathetically settle for binge-watching a show over seeking the promised land? Like Moses' parents, is God calling you to live sacrificially and courageously in the face of a hostile world? And listen, if you're growing up as a young person today, as a Christian, you're growing up in a hostile world. They're not going to throw you in jail, but you're going to have all sorts of, of choices that you're going to have to make. You're going to have all sorts of crossroads. So if you're a young person growing up in Western Europe or Canada or America, this world is not celebrating your faith. They're not going to pat you on the back and clap for you on this. And if you need that, then you need something else, okay? However, he offers you something better, but it is a hostile world towards you. You have to come to peace with that now. Is your faith in that world getting in the way of your faithfulness? Finally, like Moses, is God calling you to a deeper, more committed community? Where is your pride or lack of love getting in the way? Again, all these six examples are these incredible examples of faithfulness, where, where they had faith in God for the future. They hoped in him. They had faith in, faith in God for these things that they couldn't see. They, they moved past just the physical trials of, of Pharaoh and plagues and the desert, and they saw something bigger. They saw something more glorious. Again, it's, it's better to be in that desert on your way to heaven than being in Pharaoh's palace on your way to hell. Finally, like the rest of the book of Hebrews, believe that Jesus is better. This list of, of six, they endured through trials. They endured through temptations because they believed in something better. This world was not their home. They were sojourning. They were just passing through, but they were passing through to something better. It's better to have Jesus in a jail cell than have Potiphar's wife. He died on the cross as a payment for your sins so that you can have something better, so that you can be in a jail cell and find great joy because he's with you and he's for you in that moment. It's better to be there and on your way to heaven than not. Do you believe Jesus is better? Well, I opened talking with about Maria Dyer. 
She was born on the mission field. Life was very difficult for her. She lost both her parents by the age of 10. And even though she had loving family that was helping raise her in England, she had that sense of, you know, China is really my home on this earth. So when she was 16 years old, she and her sister uh, moved from England for China. They initially worked in a, in a girls' school, and, and you might know who she, who she married. Five years later, after moving to China, she married Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor and Maria, they started what was called the China Inland Mission. And the goal of that was actually to get into China and bring the gospel. And they did a number of wonderful things. Maria was actually more educated than Hudson. And so she was essential in all the translation work. They started a school and she, she taught children. They evangelized in the different local dialects. They did something kind of innovative at the time that for us, you know, we just kind of understand maybe more clearly. But they chose to wear uh, Chinese clothes instead of the Western dress in order to kind of maybe eliminate cultural barriers to the gospel. They, they adopted Chinese children. They started a hospital. Maria had also had multiple miscarriages. In total, she bore nine children. She experienced shipwreck, typhoons, and the heartbreaking death of so many of her children. In fact, the way Maria died is a very heartbreaking story. She, she got cholera near the end of her pregnancy. and When she gave birth to her ninth child, she wasn't able to feed the baby, and the baby died of malnutrition, and then she died shortly after. Maria Dyer-Taylor, uh, Dyer she knew temptations, she knew trials, she experienced the cost of faithfulness. She uh, had to have faith in, in God through the hardships, through the selfishness, through the apathy, through the fear, through the pride. But I want you to know that she lost, saw life through spiritual eyes. You see, none of those things robbed her joy. She was like all these examples where it was like she found the secret to happiness. Like she died happy, she died hopeful. Let me read just part of her tombstone. And just, you can just hear the love that people had for her on what they etched into that stone. You can just get a sense, of just a snapshot of her type of faith and the type of woman that it made her. It read, fell asleep in Jesus. That's pretty good, right? an earnest Christian and devoted missionary, a faithful and affectionate wife and tender mother, a sincere and warm-hearted friend. To her, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. Maria Dyer Taylor was like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents and Moses himself. And she found this secret to joy. She, she was able to trust in God, have faith in God through all things and in all things. She had God-pleasing faith. No matter the trial, she trusted him, and it took her to this place of joy. That all those people, all the masses, when they lived their lives only through physical eyes, they couldn't touch the joy that Maria Dyer Hudson experienced. They, they had God-pleasing faith. God-pleasing faith in the Lord, no matter the trials, no matter the temptations. Friends, have faith through all things and in all things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these examples from your word and from history. Thank you that we have these examples of, of how we're supposed to live. May we have that type of faith. We, we know that none of us are going to have perfect faith, and that's not what you call us to but we are to trust in you for all things. May we be a people that 
trust you and follow you through all the trials, through all the temptations. Give us spiritual eyes. Give us hope in you for the future. May we have God-pleasing faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.